0: Welcome to the TCW Investment Perspectives podcast. I'm Anisha Goodley, head of the portfolio specialist team for TCW's Emerging Markets Group. I'm here today with Jay Lee, our Emerging Markets Local Currency Strategist. Jay works very closely with our portfolio managers and research analysts on EM rates and currency positioning. Jay joined us in 2015 after 14 years of experience as a rates and FX trader. Jay, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks very much, happy to be here.
0: There's a lot to talk about. To set the stage, EM local currency debt has returned over 9% this year, outperforming EM hard currency debt by around 400 basis points. Jay, what do you think about the balance of the year? What are the main drivers going to be for EM local currency returns? And what do those returns potentially look
1: like? Sure, that's a very good question. It's been a very strong year for the EM local currency index, but we think there's a lot more opportunities ahead. Two big things. We haven't really seen a big decline in the broad dollar. It's been a pretty gradual decline path. And if you think about where we can go from here, there's a lot more room for the dollar to decline because we have central banks in the developed markets. They're pretty much at the end of their hiking cycle. Fed expectations are pretty low right now. We may or may not get one more hike. ECB, again, similarly may or may not get one more hike by the end of the year. And there's more and more evidence of U.S. inflation and growth slowing down at the margin. And that's really supportive of another phase lower in the dollar as U.S. exceptionalism starts to wane. And that's really a really powerful driver of FX returns for the local currency index going forward. On top of that, we still have very high real rates. We have inflation dynamics that are even more supportive for emerging market currencies going forward. And that allows room for us to really see the carry portion of the portfolio really do well in a relatively benign FX environment, but one that has potential to be more than just benign for the FX and start to see material FX returns of let's say maybe three to 5% over the next few months. So that really is supportive of double digit annualized return outlook for the index for the remainder of the year. So we can still see five to 8% returns. With about two and a half percent from carry, another three to maybe five percent really on the FX side. And duration returns, while they've been the big driver in the first half of the year, we think they'll be mostly flattish as we've mostly priced in a lot of the rate cuts that are about to happen from emerging markets.
0: So Jay, it's that's a really interesting point that you just made. So when you think about just the drivers of return for the first half, it was mm-hmm. as you said, it was really more rates driven. But I wanna actually actually ask you a question about the FX portion because You made the point about maybe we're unwinding some of this U.S. exceptionalism. But yes, EM central banks hiked rates well in advance of the Fed. But now that they're starting to cut rates, wouldn't that put pressure on EMFX returns? Walk walk us through that a bit.
1: Sure. Historically, actually, emerging market currencies don't react as badly as you would think to rate cuts as compared to developed markets. One of the big things that happens in emerging markets is they're usually hiking rates as the currency is depreciating because there's negative impact from inflation, asset volatility, current accounts might be declining, et cetera. Usually when emerging markets are cutting rates, that tends to be a supportive environment for the currency and the growth outlook. You're talking about high real rates, you're talking about declining asset volatility, and potential for improved investor flows across products. So when you're cutting rates, that improves your growth outlook. People tend to be more supportive of the domestic equity outlook as well as the bond outlook. And that's really something that we think differentiates emerging markets in a meaningful way from developed markets in terms of how do you trade FX going forward as we're shifting regimes from a hiking cycle to a meaningful cutting cycle. So we think at least the first half to two thirds of the cutting cycle in a lot of these markets will still be supported for emerging markets. Now, that doesn't mean that FX is going to create massive returns like we've seen in some of the markets like Colombia, Hungary, Brazil, Mexico in the first half of the give, year.
0: Give us some context. What, what do those returns look like for this year?
1: So if you look at, if you look at total returns, Colombia, Hungary, Brazil, Mexico, we're talking double-digit returns that we've already seen in just on the currency side, not factoring in the pretty, very attractive double-digit carry. What we think going forward is, Yes, emerging market currencies will start to slow down the pace of appreciation among the high yielders as central banks cut. That will lead to more consolidation and stability, which will still allow investors to benefit from the very attractive real rates and very attractive nominal carry profile. What we think happens going forward is the lower yielders that have lagged the market more broadly, in particular in Asia, as U.S. rates have risen, will actually start to benefit because now we're at the end of the hiking cycle in the U.S., in, in Europe. And that now really negates the interest rate differential that was going the other way for those markets. And we could start to see those Asian markets who where valuations are really attractive start to catch up as then now the market shifts to growth differential being a bigger driver of currencies going forward.
0: That's a really interesting point about potentially the shift away from Latin America and then just potential shift into Asia. Jay, on that note, I think what's interesting, what you were saying is, you know, some of these top performers from this year, there may be a shift potentially way out of Latin America into Asia, Mm -hmm. right? So why don't, for the audience, why don't you just give us an example of one market that you're excited about?
1: One of the markets that we think has really attractive risk-adjusted return potential is in Thailand. You have a country that has a very strong outlook for the current account. We expect that to go back into a material surplus off the back of tourism recovery. We think that it has positive tail risk associated with a recovery in China. If we start to see the government react with, with meaningful growth stimulus, that should then filter into the, the Thailand outlook, both on tourism, but also on exports, etc. And then we still have this unknown around Japan and yield curve control. As we start to see normalization in Japanese interest rate policy, we expect the dollar to weaken versus the yen. Uh, One of the currencies with the highest beta in correlation to Japan is actually Thailand. And there are a number of reasons for that associated with trade uh, relationships. But we think that even without those extra catalysts, Thailand has its own domestic drivers of appreciation from fairly attractive levels. Once you have developed market rates start to stabilize as we're end of the hiking cycle there, This should allow the currency to react positively to those domestic and regional catalysts.
0: You actually touched on two things I wanted to ask you about next. So that was Chinese growth and then also just the impact of the yield curve policy in Japan. So I think that was a really great example to demonstrate those two factors. Let me ask you one other question, though, that tends to come up a lot. You know, how do you broadly manage FX volatility?
1: I think it's important to think about FX volatility The difference between volatility that's bad and volatility that's good. We obviously do like volatility when it means higher returns for investors, especially in markets where you have very strong fundamentals. You want the market to be volatile because you get a positive reaction. What we're really focused on is managing the downside volatility. And the way we do that is we think about what are the drivers of that downside volatility. They tend to be macro shocks whether that comes from emerging markets or it comes from developed markets. And so we're opportunistically adding portfolio hedges. And that's really something that allows us to weather the storm when we believe that the underlying fundamentals of the domestic story are very strong and long-lasting.
0: Right, because that 9% this year has not been a straight line
1: up. No, it hasn't. I mean, we've had markets deal with the uncertainty around U.S. debt ceiling, around the, the small and medium-sized banks and how that would then play out to the growth outlook globally, and we've had disappointment around China's exit from a very, very conservative COVID policy. So now as we've gotten through this, we've been able to hold on to, the, to those exposures that we think have meaningful upside return, we've been able to maintain exposure to those core markets that we think have strong domestic fundamentals by weathering the storm in those situations through portfolio hedges. The other thing we've been doing is actively looking at the exposures within regions and focusing on the technicals and fundamentals of the relative value within the region. So we may maintain a broad exposure throughout the macro cycle, but within that we're really looking for the best risk reward expression at any given point in time. And that's allowed us to, again, better navigate what has been A challenging market in terms of volatility, but one that's yielded very attractive returns for investors who've been able to weather the storm.
0: Right. It's provided some opportunity as well because there's been pretty significant dispersion, as you touched on earlier.
1: Yes. In fact, if you look at the returns for the index, it's very much been a case of haves and have nots. The Latin America and CE region... They've all experienced double-digit returns. By comparison, Asia has been flat to marginally down. And and smaller markets like Egypt and Turkey, where you've seen extremely negative returns off the back of very disappointing domestic fundamentals.
0: Thanks, Jay. So last question, maybe. Last question for me right now is, you demonstrated this case of potentially slowing U.S. growth, some Chinese stimulus. Mm-hmm. What you've basically seen in the last few months is surprises on the upside for the U.S., downside for China. That may be shifting. What do you think is kind of the sweet spot for EM
1: Local? We're starting to build a bigger overweight bias to Asia FX from here. As we mentioned, there is a lot of upside because the market has really gotten very bearish on the China growth outlook, and we think most of that's priced in. So if you do get a positive reaction function from the government to stimulate aggregate demand in a meaningful way, we think Asia FX can really catch up, especially in an environment, as we mentioned earlier, where there isn't a broad move higher in core developed market rates. The second thing I would say is, we're really going to be a lot more dynamic about where we want to have duration exposure. We, we're focused on markets that with low correlation to US rates volatility and much more stronger reaction to domestic catalysts. And the last thing I would say is, we're still in an environment where interest rates matter, but matter more for the carry. And going forward, what drives FX returns is going to be growth differential, and we're in an environment where we still expect EM growth to meaningfully be higher than developed market growth by at least a factor of two, two point four x. Right, the, the widest the
0: in a decade, effectively, right?
1: Exactly, and one that has upside surprise potential from here, whether that be from the U.S. slowing down a little bit faster off the back of the lag effects from these higher rates that we're experiencing, and or China recovering a, in a more meaningful way. And we also have Europe in a much better situation than we were a year ago. If you just think about the energy shocks that they experienced, we're not going to experience that this time going forward because they're just better positioned. Gas storage levels are at 88% right now. So they're really well prepared for the winter as compared to historical averages and especially compared to last year. So we think there's much more downside to growth in developed markets, and much more upside potential to growth in CE and Asia especially.
0: And if you think just stepping back more broadly, if you look at the last decade, we know local currency has been effectively one of the worst sharp ratio trades out there, right, in the market. Yeah. It sounds like you think that's shifting. If you, if you look more broadly over the next decade, what do you think?
1: I think it's very important to think about what's driven that poor sharp ratio and poor return outlook, and it really has been currency volatility. And as we talked about earlier, There is good volatility and there's bad volatility. And we've experienced a lot of bad volatility up till now. But in an environment where the dollar is structurally overvalued and we can look into whether it's versus developed markets or emerging markets, there is the potential for a broader trend lower in the dollar. And now we're in an environment where we can actually have currency volatility be additive to returns going forward. And... That's an environment that's also supportive for the bonds within these emerging markets. As currency volatility declines, as currencies appreciate, that generally leads to better outlook for stability in local bonds and also the lower risk premium in local bond markets as well.
0: Great. Thank you so much, Jay. So let me just try to recap what you discussed. I mean, it seems like we do anticipate that the broad dollar is likely to continue to decline you have developed market central banks finishing their hiking cycles. You're seeing real data around slowing inflation and slowing growth. And so maybe that US exceptionalism starts to unwind. Mm-hmm. And then the growth expectations in EM are improving. Yes. So I think it's what your point, You know, was really interesting in terms of EM is not necessarily DM. The way DM rates and DMFX may trade, that's not necessarily the way EM rates and EMFX may trade. Although there may be, you know, of course, there are correlations. But Your point about how we're approaching these rate-cutting cycles, it may not be as negative for EMFX as what you would think.
1: That's correct. And I think we're in an environment where you really have a chance to have differentiated returns uh, for emerging markets going forward.
0: Great. Well, Jay, thank you so much for spending time with us today.
1: Thank you very much. Thank
2: you for joining us today on TCW Investment Insights. For more insights from TCW, please visit tcwcom insights. This material is for general information purposes only and does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. TCW, its officers, directors, employees, or clients may have positions in securities or investments mentioned in this publication, which positions may change at any time without notice. While the information and statistical data contained herein are based on sources believed to be reliable we do not represent that it is accurate and should not be relied on as such or be the basis for an investment decision. The information contained herein may include preliminary information and or, quote, forward-looking statements, end quote. Due to numerous factors, actual events may differ substantially from those presented. TCW assumes no duty to update any forward-looking statements or opinions in this document. Any opinions expressed herein are current only as of the time made and are subject to change without notice. Past performance is no guarantee of future results.